We're not incarcerated with no hope, right? We're not incarcerated. We're not placed on death roll with no opportunity for parole. No, we've been incarcerated, subjected to frustration, but with a hope. And Paul says, because we understand the hope that we look forward to, this incarceration, this reality that our lives are subjected to frustration and suffering at the hands of fallen men, the hands of our fallen world, Paul says this is is kind of like for us the experience of pregnancy and of labor. We're subjected to labor pains knowing that one day all the wrongs will be made right and everything will be restored to what we know in our hearts what it ought to be. However, that hope, that longing that we look forward to, it creates for us a tension as we wait for the redemption of all things. It creates a tension in our hearts where we cry out at times and we say, how long, Lord? How long must this go on? How long we mu- must we suffer? It creates a tension in our hearts. It also grants us a staying power because we rest in the reality that God can does and will work all things together for the good of those who have been called according to his purposes. The reality is that for those of us with faith, for those who have been called according to God's purposes, suffering is never meaningless. It's never meaningless. And there is nothing in our life that God will ever say, I can't work with that. No. In all things, church, sin, evil, Illogical suffering in all things we're told that God looks at all of our situations, at all of our circumstances. He looks at everything that we endure, again, from fallen nature, from fallen man. He looks at all things, everything that we go through, and he always says, I can work with that. I can work with that for your good. And he reminds us that everything he calls us to endure will be rewarded. As John Piper said, every millisecond of our pain from fallen nature and fallen man is producing a peculiar weight of glory that we will get because of that. We can't always see it, can we? We can't always feel it, but we don't look to what is seen. We don't look at what we can feel. No, we fix our eyes on the unseen promises of God and remember that God can work with that. He can work with that. Now, in light of all of this, Paul says, in light of all of this, what shall we conclude? If all this is true, what shall we say in response to these promises? Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? Paul says, firstly, if these promises are true, then what must we conclude? If God is for us, who can ever be against us, he says. If God loves us and will never leave us nor forsake us, if he says the vows of marriage to us in Christ, if we have been adopted into his family, if he can bring meaning to all of our suffering, if he can make good come from even the most senseless acts of evil in our lives, who can ever come against us, Paul says. And church, this is not a question that is begging an answer. It's a declaration. It's a declaration declaring Christ as our answer. If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one and nothing. 
As the old hymn says, no power of hell, no scheme of man, no one and nothing will ever keep us from God's plan for us in Christ Jesus. And even as I say these things, I hear in my heart and in my head, yeah, but Levi, how do I know? How do I know this is true? God's never spoken to me audibly, me either. God sometimes feels absent. I sometimes question whether he's around. How can I know that this is true, that God is for me, and because he is for me, that no one and nothing in this life will ever defeat me? How can I know without a shadow of doubt? Verse 32. Church, look to the cross and the resurrection of Christ. I say this in gentleness and in love. How much more proof do we need of God's love for us than that? Verse 32, he said, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Here's the Levi paraphrase. If God gave up his one and only son, if God the Father did not withhold his one and only son to get you and I into his family, why in the world would you and I ever question his heart of grace and generosity to us? If God willingly gave us his son, is there any length that we should not rightfully expect him to go to keep us in relationship with him, to keep us in his family? Is there any reason why we should expect anything less than for him to give us all things? Again, this is not a question looking for an answer. The answer is an assumed and resounding, of course not. Of course we can accept all things because of what he's displayed to us in his love for us through Christ, his son. And when we fail, when we miss the mark, when we mess up, again, if this is the heart of the Father and the lengths he is willing to go, Paul continues in verse 33, who then will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. If it is God who justifies, who's going to bring any charge against us? Who then is the one who condemns us? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and he is also interceding for us. Church, as I was prepping this, as I was prepping this reality, a song popped into my head. I'm not sure if you've heard it or not. It's called The Blessing. Have you heard it? The Blessing, Elevation Worship, and Carrie Job. If it's not in your playlist, you should get your phones out right now. I'll allow it. Get your phones out right now and put it in your playlist. It's a, it's a worship jam. It's an anthem for, for Christians about the heart of the Father. And the artists, the musicians have wrote the lyrics. They are quoting directly from Scripture different areas and numbers and Exodus and the New Testament where God is speaking blessing over his children. Blessing over his children. And at the height of the song, Carrie Job, the, the main artist, she, she belts out Romans 8. He is for us. God is for you. He is for you. He is for you. I want you to listen to it.
is for you, church. He is for you. God of heaven is for you. As I started preaching this morning, I saw our brother Joe Relier come in back through the door who suffered a concussion from a car accident. This is a huge, huge thing for him to be a part of us this morning. Joe, God is for you, brother. He is for you. He's for you. Even in the midst of your suffering, God is for you. He's for you. Because of that truth, church, Nothing and no one will ever be able to separate you from the love that is yours in Christ Jesus. That's what verse 35 says. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Again, it's not asking a question. It's proclaiming the answer. No one, nothing. Now, if this doesn't make your heart sing, I gotta be honest, my wife hates, she likes that song. She hates it when I play that song because I play it like at ear, eardrum busting levels because it just makes me want to, yeah, like let's go, amen, it's true, I believe it, God is for me, he's for me. If this doesn't make your heart sing, I don't know what will, church. But with that said, as victorious as these verses sound, and they do sound victorious, don't they? Who can separate us from the love of God? No power of hell, no scheme of man, right? Let's go. Let's go. This, these verses, they make me want to get up out of my chair, right, more than any Packers touchdown and just say, like, let's storm the gates of hell. Let's go. God is for us. No enemy can ever come against me, right? It's victory in Jesus. Let's go. As good as these verses are, as much victory as exists inside of these verses. There is inspiration penned in these words. But I know the reality. As the excitement begins to settle a bit in our hearts, as we move out of this place, as we move back into our fallen, broken world, as we suffer, the inspiration that we had the zeal and courage that, that we feel to take the hill, to storm the gates of hell, it begins to fade at times. It begins to wane at times. Our courage, our confidence is threatened by the realities of life. Things that sounded so good coming from the preacher's mouth. Things that sounded so certain. Things that we deeply believed, that we hoped to be true Questions and doubts begin to rise in our minds, don't they? God, you said you're for me. Where's the victory you promised? God, you said you would be for me. You said that no one and nothing would come against me, and yet, here I am, suffering. Here I am, facing down the barrel of a diagnosis, a hardship. Here I am, under persecution, here I am without a job, struggling to put food on a table. Here I am, here we are in a recession, facing down a famine in the economy. Our brothers and sisters in Syria, in Iran, here I am facing threats from my government, dangers and accidents, thieves and villains of all kind. Here I am raising kids in all of the confusion that exists around sexuality and all of it. 
God, you said you loved me, and yet here we are, facing down death all day long. I don't feel victorious. If I'm honest, I feel more like a sheep being led to slaughter. Where's the victory, God? Where's the healing? Where's this God who promised to be for me? Where's the courage you promised to give me to press on in light of my current reality? I hope your promises are true. I desperately want your promises to true, but I don't feel much like a conqueror, Jesus. I don't feel very victorious. Mostly, I just feel defeated. Loved ones, God knows how you feel. Do you know how I knows how I know that he knows how you feel? Romans 8 continues. Verse 35. Victory. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Reality. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present or the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christian, you and I are more than conquerors. We are. We are more than conquerors. And because of that, our victory, at least in this life, it looks different from what we so often conclude. Don't misunderstand me here. Victory is promised. Victory is coming. When Christ returns or you die and go be with him in glory, you will experience the victory that you and, and that you're in my, my heart that it longs for fully. It's coming. But in this world, you and I are not just conquerors. We are something more than that. Christ Jesus is our conqueror. He has guaranteed for us ultimate vic- victory. But until he asks us to be, but until then, he asks us to be something more than a conqueror. He asks us to be an ambassador. And because of that, again, at least in this life, victory looks different for us as ambassadors. If you view yourself as a conqueror alone, you will struggle to make sense of suffering in this life. You will struggle to make sense of weakness and of failure. But as an ambassador, one who exists to proclaim the glories and goodness of God, that is your purpose. As an ambassador, one who continues in the midst of suffering in spite of hardships, one who continues to proclaim God's goodness and his worth, as an ambassador. It doesn't make our suffering any easy per se, but it does serve to use that suffering as an amplifier that magnifies our message. For the ambassador, 
Those of us who understand that we are more than conquerors in Christ, we, under, we understand our sufferings as a megaphone in the hands of God. I recently started watching season three of The Chosen. Anybody seen The Chosen? If you haven't seen The Chosen, you should check it out. It's phenomenal. I'm going to show you a clip here that illustrates what I think it means to be an ambassador, more than a conqueror, better than anything else I could share with you. We're going to see a clip of a conversation between Jesus and a disciple whom he calls Little James. I need you to know that this conversation does not exist in Scripture. But, like any illustration that I use, whether it be one of my kids' things about the Pop-Tart or whatever, it's an illustration that serves to help us better understand the, the heart of Scripture and what's already been penned. So don't get bent out of shape and say, where's that in my Bible? Treat it like any other, any other illustration. And in what it says, it is in accordance with Scripture. And before we watch it, here's the setting. Jesus has been ministering He's been healing people. He's been proclaiming the message of the kingdom. He's been casting out demons with his 12 disciples. They've observed him. They've went with him from town to town. And it's come to a point in the ministry where Jesus says, listen, I gotta go home and be alone with my father. I need to get clarity of vision and my marching orders and sharpen that up. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have you do in the meantime. I'm going to commission you two by two. I'm gonna send you out to do what you have observed me doing. I'm going to give you authority to heal to cast out demons and to proclaim the message of the kingdom. So as you've seen me, now you go and do. And in that conversation, in that conversation, you get a, a sense of the victory, the anticipation. They've seen Jesus cast out demons and heal, and they're excited, right? He sent them out. He's given marching orders. Let's go, fellas. It's time to take the hill. Let's storm the gates of hell. You have my authority. Go. Victory. And one of the disciples pulls Jesus aside to ask him what it looks like for him to be more than a conqueror given what he's just told him. Let's check it out. Master. Uncle James. May I have a moment? Of course. I am really I'm uh, not always confident to speak. Slow to speak, it's a very good quality. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a question, please. So you're sending us out with the ability to heal the sick and lame. Yes, that, that is what you said. Yes. So you're telling me that I have the ability to heal. Forgive <laughs> me, I just find that difficult to imagine with my condition, which you haven't healed. Do you want to be healed? Yes, of course, if, if that's possible. I think you've seen enough to know it's possible. Why haven't you? Because I trust you. What? Little James.
I need you to listen to me very carefully because what I'm going to say defines your whole life to this point and will define the rest of your life. Do you understand? In the Father's will, I could heal you right now. And you'd have a good story to tell, yes? Yes, that you do miracles. And that's a good story. But there are already dozens who can tell that story. And there will be hundreds more, even thousands. But think of the story that you have, especially in this journey to come, if I don't heal you. To know how to proclaim that you still praise God in spite of this. To know how to focus on all that matters so much more than the body. To show people that you can be patient with your suffering here on earth because you know you'll spend eternity with no suffering. Not everyone can understand that. How many people do you think the Father and I trust this with? Hmm? Not many. But the others, they're so much more. So much more what? I don't know. Stronger? Better at this? James, I love you. But I don't want to hear that ever again. I know how easy it is to say the Son of David that I fearfully and wonderfully made. But it doesn't make this any easier. And it is true. It doesn't make me feel like any less of a burden. A burden? First of all, it is far easier to deal with your slow walking than it is to deal with Simon's temper. Trust me. Are you fast? Do you look impressive when you walk? Maybe not. But these are things the Father doesn't care about. You are going to do more for me than most people ever dream. So many people need healing in order to believe in me. Or they need healing because their hearts are so sick. That doesn't apply to you. And many are healed or not healed because the Father in Heaven has a plan for them which may be a mystery. And we remember what Job said. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When you pass from this earth and you meet your Father in Heaven, where Isaiah promises you will leap like a deer, your reward will be great. So hold on a little longer. And when you discover yourself finding true strength because of your weakness, and when you do great things in my name, in spite of this, the impact will last for generations. Do you understand? Yes. 
you healing others. Oh, what a sight. I can't wait to hear your stories when you return. Shalom, my son. Shalom. And James. will be healed. It's only a matter of time. Church, in our culture, we don't like being considered as anything less than a conqueror because we want to take the hill. We want to get the, the house with the picket fence and have the money and have healing right here, right now, instantly. Honestly, I believe, I believe the Father asks us to pray for these things. In James, he tells us, you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you ask with the wrong motives. I think we're called to pray for miracles. We're called to pray for healing so that the kingdom might be shown in our world. But we're called to pray with this heart, recognizing that we are more than conquerors that Christ has called us to be his ambassador. And at times, you may be one of those individuals that he trusts and loves enough to withhold healing for a season so that your suffering, so that your pain might be a megaphone to this world that says, even if my God does not heal me, I will still praise him. The Lord God gives and takes away, and yet I will still say, blessed be the name of my Father in heaven. We sang that song, Honey in the Rock. Do you know what that means? Jesus is our rock. He provides our sustenance. We love Christ for who he is, not for what he can do for us. Jesus is enough. Jesus is what you need. Relationship with Christ is what you need. It's what you were created for. Not the gifts he can give us. That doesn't mean we don't ask for them. We should ask for them. James says, if you're sick and need of healing, come to the elders. Let them anoint your head with oil. Confess your sins one to another so that you might receive healing. We want to be a church that prays for this. Just this morning, a brother of mine said, I woke up this morning, I was spending time with the Father, and I got a sense in my heart that he was saying, there's some people at Crossroads that have some eye problems. And I just heard the Father say, I want to heal them. If that's you, I don't know if that's you. If you've got eye issues, we've got a prayer team over here. Come over after service and we want to pray for you. Our God can heal. But if he doesn't, church, it does not mean he does not love you. How do I know? How do I know that? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for you. How will he not also along with him graciously give you all things? It's not a matter of, of if, church, in your healing. It's a matter of when, now, or later. And the Holy Spirit will give you what you need if the answer is later. You can trust him. We're more than conquerors. We are Christ's ambassadors. Church, I can't think of any other way to close the message this morning, any better way than for us to partake in communion.
It's an opportunity that Jesus gave to us. I love, I love that it's food, right? It's bread and juice. I love that it's food because you and I don't eat once in a while. We eat three times a day. I believe God gave us this reminder to help us remember that we need to continually bring these truths and these promises before us, to feast on the promises of God in a tangible way, in a metaphorical way as we spend time meditating on the scriptures. And so we're gonna do that. God has set the table before us. He's given us bread and juice to remind us of our Savior whose body was broken for you, whose blood was shed for you so that you might know him, that he might be the sustenance you require for your soul. If you know Jesus, if you've heard this this morning, you say, I don't know Jesus, but man, I want to. I want the hope you're talking about. Then make the decision in your heart today to follow him. Surrender to him. Say, Jesus, I don't know. I don't know what you have for me. I don't even really know who you are, but I want to know you. That's enough, church. That's enough. That's the beginning of faith. And then keep, keep on keeping on in faith. Turn from your sin Accept the forgiveness that Christ has displayed for you on the cross, the power that he's given to you through his resurrection, and keep on doing it. Start today that journey of faith. If you've made that decision, even today, even in just this moment, then come and remember the promises of God together. You are more than a conqueror. In this life, you are an ambassador, and that means every suffering, every millisecond of your pain is meaningful, that God can use it as a megaphone to proclaim his greatness to our lost and hurting world. I'm gonna pray, and after we pray, the band's gonna come up. In fact, the band can come up right now. They're gonna lead us through uh, a little instrumental, and when every, everybody's finished, we're gonna sing a song together. The song is called, O Come to the Altar. It's a reminder that because of the death and resurrection of Christ, we have access to the Father always. We can always come to the altar and we know that when we come, there is no condemnation ever. There is only welcome, acceptance, forgiveness, and love. Let me pray. And then as you feel led, you can come down the center and then we'll go out through the sides and you can pick either the bread and the juice or we have the prepackaged ones um, if you feel like that'd be more sanitary. I'll leave that up to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the love that you have for us. Father, I acknowledge the realities of this life, the suffering that we, we endure, the hardships, the trials, the persecution. A lot of times we don't feel very victorious in this life. I pray, Father, that our, our lack of victory from our earthly perception, per perspective would never make us question the love that you have for us. When we question, Lord, bring us back to the cross Bring us back to what Jesus did on our behalf and let that preach to our heart and remind us that you are for us. You are for us, Jesus. You are for us. No power in hell, no scheme of man will ever prevent us from receiving your love and acceptance and forgiveness in Christ. May there be no one and nothing that can ever steal our joy, Father. I pray that you would take these truths from our head and help them sink into our heart for your glory and our joy we pray these things. Amen.